Hello, this is Jeff Patterson, the senior pastor of Wesley Memorial Church in High Point, North Carolina. Thank you for subscribing to our podcast. It's great to stay connected. I'm excited about the new sermon series uh, that is beginning in the month of August. It is a study of the book of Habakkuk, a great Old Testament prophet. The title of the sermon series is When God Doesn't because the prophet asked God some really tough questions in the book. And we're going to study that book together and learn how to uh, worship and love and serve God in the midst of very confusing times. So thank you for joining us. Hello, my friend. Thank you again for worshiping with us today as we go into the second week of our sermon series of When God Doesn't. And I realize that title is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek title because from our perspective, it may look like God isn't doing anything, but of course we know that God never stops working. Um, that it maybe, maybe to us as an observer, it appears that God isn't or, or doesn't do something because, as I said, we are coming from an observer point of view, right? And, and the Bible is written from an observer point of view. And Habakkuk illustrates that, that, that he is, he's observing his, his own heart, his own feelings. And from his point of view, he's observing and saying, God, where are you? God, I can't hear you. Are, are, are you working? Now, we use observer language in our culture all the time. Like, for example, the phrase, the sun rises or the sun sets. We know the sun doesn't actually do that, right? We know that we're a heliocentric solar system and we know that that we are spinning around the sun right 365 days and so when you see the meteorologist on tv and of course they're not going to say you know earth rotation will be apparent at 6 30 no they're saying they say the sun rises it's observer language and so in the bible when it appears that moses um, that god is changing his mind or something with moses or God is relenting in other ways, or that God is, seems distant or isn't doing anything, it's all written from an observer, anthropomorphic point of view. See, we only have one point of view, but God has view. He has all the view. It may appear that God isn't doing anything sometimes in our lives, whether we're religious or not, whether we know God, we know Jesus Christ, or we don't. Sometimes we all feel that way. And, but when we orient our hearts toward God with patient perspective, I'm going to use those words a lot today, patient perspective, we see that God has always been working. He's never stopped. He never stops. And, but even in our perceived silence that we see from our observer-only perspective, we need that patient perspective I mean, think about it this way. You know, just this past week, we had a, a bit of rain. I think it rained three inches in 45 minutes where I live. Um, a lot of wind with the, the tropical storm that came through. Now, imagine you were riding your bike. I don't recommend this, but imagine you were riding your bike into the wind, that strong wind. Obviously, it'd be difficult. Obviously, it would come against you. Now, but imagine you turn your bike, and then the wind is to your back, and it's helping you. You see that it's working with you. Now, what changed, you or the wind? 
As we'll see today in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Habakkuk is slowly turning himself, not going into the wind anymore, but he's turning himself with patient perspective, and he starts to move in God's direction. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he, God, will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, or if it seems to take too long, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. As we've seen from last week and this week, Habakkuk is asking God, have you abandoned Israel? Do you have any plans for the nation, for our people? And as we asked last week, what do you do when God doesn't? when God seems distant or silent? And the same questions we ask ourselves today. Where is God in this horrible explosion in Lebanon? Where is God in the midst of this pandemic? Where is God in my unemployment or my illness or my heart of mourning that's broken? In response to Habakkuk and to us today, God says, I do have a plan, but it might take some time. It might take some patient perspective. Habakkuk said to God, tell me where you are. Tell me what you're doing. And God basically said, if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it. Your mind couldn't handle it. In the same way, if we could see what God was doing in the unseen realm or the spiritual world, we, we couldn't even believe it. You couldn't process it, God is saying to Habakkuk. If I gave you what you really wanted, you couldn't even make sense of it. So instead, God says, wait for it. When it comes, it will not tarry. When it comes, you will know. But how do you do that? It sounds good on paper, but in regards to this passage, what does it mean to wait on God during times like that? Again, patient perspective. First word, patience. As it said in verse 3, God said, if God seems to tarry, wait for it. God says, it will surely come. It will not delay. You see, God knows that the best gifts in our lives come slowly sometimes. God wants us to see results as we work for him, but his first concern is our growth because he loves us. That's why God withholds success until we have learned patience sometimes. The Lord teaches this, this lesson through the blessed discipline of delay. Now, I don't know about you, I don't like delay. You probably don't either. I told a story some time ago about getting into a Starbucks drive-through, and in my impatience and the delay, you start to feel irritated. I've had people honk at me at a McDonald's before <laughs> because I couldn't control it, but 
they weren't bringing it out fast enough. We don't like delay, especially in America now. Our, our, our patience is getting ever, ever skinnier for whatever it is. When our flight gets delayed, well, we, we don't celebrate that. When we order something online and, and the delivery is delayed, we're annoyed. When our internet connection is delayed or lagging, we sigh with frustration. Oh, how inconvenient. And like you, many Americans, myself included, can be a little bit uptight. I was made well aware of this in 2008 when I took a mi went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And it's in those moments of delays, in those moments of impatience that you see, I saw, my deficiency, my impatience. If you've ever been to a Latin American country, they have a much more relaxed sense of time than we do in America. Um, we were preparing to leave. Now, first of all, I may have the gift of preaching. I may have the gift of teaching and all of that. I'm a, I'm a horrible missionary. I wish I was better. Some people are called into it, and God bless them. Just as when I was a youth minister, people would look at me and go, I could never do that. And I was like, well, it's a calling. I couldn't do other things that you can do. Um, but I did go on this foreign mission trip. Now, domestic mission trips, I've done them, I've done them for years. But foreign trips were a real challenge for me. And as we went overseas and we stayed in the DR with these wonderful, beautiful people for about 10 days and did a, a health clinic uh, to help people with their a lot of tapeworms and high blood pressure and, and caring for people. As we were preparing to leave, um, our flight was about to leave the airport in about 30 minutes. And we were just getting in the, the van. And I remember looking at our host and going, we need to go. Because we spent like $10,000 on these tickets for all these people. And I'm a little bit stressed out. And he was like, hey, man, it's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, I am worried about it. It's not going to be fine. I don't want to miss our flight. Now, what, what he knew and what I didn't know is that almost every flight out of Santo Domingo is, is delayed. <laughs> so when we got there, we sat for about three hours for our flight to actually leave. But in that moment of delay, in that moment of, of impatience, I realized a, a great truth that when we feel delayed, um, we are given an opportunity. We are given an opportunity to show patience. And that's what's happening here to Habakkuk. He is given an opportunity, and although it's inconvenient, it's not any fun, you're, you are then made to be patient and wait on someone higher and greater than you that understands much more than we do. And believe it or not, Jesus actually... Uh, in Matthew 25, gives us some real uh, meat about what to do in moments of delay. In, a, in an unexpected place where he teaches what's called the parable of um, the, the ten bridesmaids, or the translations say the ten virgins. And in this parable, um, God seems to be delayed, and particularly Jesus' second coming. It's really what he's talking about, though. But what do you do when there seems to be a delay? Well, check this out. Matthew 25. He says, The kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, 
But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And then verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, Jesus is referring to himself. He is referring to the fact that, well, as at least it's been at least 2,000 years since he told the story, that he acknowledges, hey, you will wonder, why does God seem delayed? Why does God seem to not be doing what we think he's going to do? And he's expressing that. And as the bridegroom, Jesus, is being delayed, he says, all of the bridesmaids were, became drowsy and they fell asleep. But at midnight, there was a shout. Look, here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps and kind of got the wicks ready. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Like that kid in class going, hey, what'd you get for number six, right? Let me, give me, help me out here at the last second. Our lamps are going out. But the wise people replied, no, there will not be enough for you and us. You better go to the dealers and buy some for yourself. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later on, the other bridesmaids came with their oil, saying, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. Now, this is, of course, Jesus teaching about his return, whether it is at the culmination of time or at the moment of our death. But Jesus is saying, Patience is not just laziness or falling asleep, but, but he is equating patience with readiness, that you're ready to jump into action the moment a command is given. I had a friend that was in the army for many years, and he went to uh, Afghanistan when the United States invaded. And he said, hey, everyone in the, really in the military knows this statement, hurry up and wait. You hurry up, get ready, and then you wait. But you're, you're ready to jump into action at any moment. There, there, there's a readiness embedded in your patience. But patience is waiting without worrying. It's hard to do. Patience is an act of the will. It is a choice that we make. When we're given that, um, we're given that opportunity in moments of delay to decide, will we be patient or not? The pastor, Tim Keller, has a great quote about patience. He says, Patience is a deliberate laying down of the burden of assumed omniscience. Patience, you're laying down the burden of assumed omniscience. Because when we're impatient, when we're worrying, when we're angry about delay, we are assuming the burden that we're omniscient, that we know everything, and it's not going the way I want, so I'm mad. And that's what God, though, is asking Habakkuk to do here. Lay down this burden that you're expecting yourself to have it all figured out. When you and I are but jars of clay, we're like the flowers of the field. We're here today and gone tomorrow. God knows that we are made of dust. So we have to let go of the expectation of how God should work in this world or how he should answer our prayers we have to let go of this false narrative that we hold all information, and therefore we're always right. We don't know everything. We're not God. We're finite, mortal creatures who don't know the future. And this, to me, is a freeing thing. 
This is why Jesus says, if you want to know the kingdom of God, you've got to come into it like a little child and accept it with an innocence and a purity of heart. And that's why God says in, in, in Proverbs and other books of the Bible, God says, I'm opposed to the proud. I'm literally opposed to a proud heart. I can't work with that. Because arrogance blinds you, and it is, it's that assume, again, that assumed burden that you're somehow omniscient and omnipotent. But it blinds you from knowing the truth of Jesus. Because there are so many people today that do believe they're smarter than God, or they're smarter than the prophets, or the church fathers, or the apostles, or even Jesus himself. See, with patience needs to come proper perspective. And as we'll see from Habakkuk again, he, is, he orients himself with the right perspective. Proper, getting the right perspective is so important in life. I mean, consider this. Consider the difference of viewing yourself as the king and queen on the throne of your life, and other people exist to basically serve you. Now, that's one perspective. Imagine how that impacts how you view others, the world, and treat other people, that perspective. Or the difference of Christ is on the throne of your life, and you're kneeling, and you exist to serve him and to serve your neighbor and the world. Do you see the difference of that perspective? Like Habakkuk, we do need patience. In the Spirit of God, I believe, will help us do that on our own strength, the patience part, pretty hard. But we also need perspective. I once heard a story about a man who found out it was his time to go to heaven. And he asked the Lord, can I bring one thing to heaven? And the Lord said, no, no outside contraband. You don't need it. No. But after many requests, the man said, please. And the Lord said, okay, you can bring one thing. And happily, the man packed a suitcase full of gold. How he had, came to have that much gold, I don't know. It's a joke. You know how it works. And when he arrived in heaven, the angel said, hey, you can't bring that in here. You can't, you can't do it. But the man said, the Lord said I could bring my suitcase of gold, or just I could bring this. And the angel said, okay, by the way, what's in there? And the man opened the bag, and they looked in, and the angel said, oh, this is just pavement. See? See? Yeah, you get it? Because in heaven, the streets are made of gold. I know if you have to explain a joke, it's not as good. But, but perspective, perspective. It also reminds me of a story of the golfer Arnold Palmer. And he was invited by the Prince of Dubai to come play in a, an exclusive uh, golf tournament. And he was just going to get paid a lot of money just to simply be there and to play in Dubai. And so he went and he... He uh, played in the tournament, and at the end of it, the prince said, hey, I would be honored if I could give you a gift for participating in this tournament. And Palmer said, no, I, I'm already, you know, he, knowing he was wealthy from his career, he said, I don't need you to provide anything. And, and the prince said, no, I insist. I must, I must give you a golf club. And Palmer said, well, I could probably take another golf club. I mean, I, sure, that'd be great. I'll put it on a plaque and put it on my wall. And so he went home, and a few weeks later, he gets a deed in the mail of, indeed, it was a golf club that had sand traps and greens and lakes and 18 holes. Proper perspective. 
See, when you ask the king for something, you don't just get a little bit, but you get everything else thrown in in abundance. And it's so important to have that patient perspective. And as we'll see here in Habakkuk verse, or chapter 2, verse 1, Habakkuk changes his perspective. He views the ways of God differently. And he orients himself differently, as we'll see. Again, he says, Habakkuk says, I stand at the watch post. I station myself on the rampart. Uh, if we don't know, a, a rampart or a rampart, rampart is a tower on a city wall or a, or a fortified structure. And it's a way of getting perspective. It's a way of getting up off the ground, seeing things differently. And he positions himself in a way, again, that he's not moving against the wind, but he's waiting with patience in a different perspective on God to move. And maybe you're listening to this today, and that's what you need. Maybe you need to get out of the house, get a different perspective, go somewhere different, go out in nature, get a different perspective on life. It's so critical. And he's not only is it a physical change of his perspective, but I believe it's a spiritual change where he's expecting God to meet with him in that place. And of course, God knows, and God meets with him in that tower and gives him some much-needed perspective. But here's a key point of this passage of Habakkuk. Even though you may be in a season of your life that you don't know where God is, God knows where you are. God knows where you and I are. God knows that Habakkuk is waiting for him on that rampart. And as you wait on God in the coming week or months to come, remember, God knows where you are. In your illness, he knows where you are. In your inner turmoil, he knows where you are. In your unemployment, he knows where you are. In your worry about the future or the upcoming school year, God knows where you are. Jesus tells us that the very hairs on our head are numbered, that before we were even in our mother's womb, he knew us. Because if you don't have a transcendent perspective in your life, at the end of your life, you'll discover that it was kind of meaningless. Patient perspective. It's difficult. It is difficult because in the moment especially in moments of doubt, it seems like God doesn't know what he's doing. But if you don't believe in God, then everything is just random. But if you do believe in God, you have to believe he's in control. You just have to. He has to be in control because if he isn't in full control, he's not God. Even when you don't see God, he's working. Even when you don't feel necessarily him at any time, he's working. Even if you don't understand what's happening, he is working. I once had a friend that went through a tremendous breakup. Their, uh, they had basically call off an engagement, and they were devastated by, of course, what had happened, but they knew it was what God wanted them to do. And this person told me they, they prayed and prayed for their their now ex, 
prayed for them for weeks, and they were just heartbroken and rendered and, and really felt hollowed out from the inside. Now, some of you know what that feels like, just deep, deep grief. And this person told me, I prayed for weeks, and one night I was on my knees on my, in my bedroom, and I was weeping, and I heard a voice, and it was, I had to be the voice of an angel. And, and the voice said, be still, for the Lord is at work. And in that moment, I felt my grief and my worry pass away from me. And that's a word for some of you today, to be still and know that he is at work. Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And today and every day, he is working for our good. Amen. Just say it wherever you're watching right now. Amen. He's working for our good. He has to be working for our good because he's God. And if he doesn't do that, all is lost. But he is. He's working for our good. It reminds me of a story of the Reverend Billy Graham, and he was in Berlin, Germany. And he was meeting with the Chancellor of Germany at that time. And the Chancellor looked at Dr. Graham and he said, my boy, do you really believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you believe it was true and it was real? And of course, Dr. Graham said, yes, with all my heart, I believe it's true. And the Chancellor of Germany said, my boy, I think that is the greatest hope that this world has. And that is so true today that his work for you and me has been accomplished already. The work has been done and even though we're in a moment where we, are, we can't see and understand and know what God is doing, he is working for our good today and every day. Let me pray for you right now. God in heaven, thank you that you are working for our good. Thank you, Lord, that you are always at work. You never stop. You're working for the good of those who love you. And I pray, God, encouragement for those listening or watching right now that they would be built up in their faith, God, knowing that you will help us have patient perspective. God, give us new eyes to see how maybe you are teaching us something new in this season of our lives. You're giving us in moments of delay. You're maybe giving us opportunity to practice patience, to practice godliness, to practice faith, to practice trust, even though it's hard. We don't get it perfect. Thank you, God in heaven, that you are always making a way. You are always working, oh God. We trust in you at this time. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. And the answer is, I don't know. But as we leave this time of worship, you and I can go and sing a new song into the world. The song of Jesus, the song of the resurrection, amen. The song of the forgiveness of sins, the songs of the peace of of Prince of Peace who wants to come and live within people's hearts and change their lives. We can sing that song. When we lift up the name of Jesus above your own life, you will find your life. So let's go and be real and authentic to the world and say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but I know that Jesus is real and that he is good and that he will come again. And until that day, we will mourn, but we will also dance. And we will sing a new song. A new creation is coming, my friends. 
And you and I get to take part in that. So go in the power of the Holy Spirit and be the hands and feet of Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.